Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Today's special guest is a dear friend from many years ago, Thomas McWilliams. He, I met him while he was an educator for Alpha Parf. We met on a fabulous trip to Italy that I'm sure we will talk about during the interview. And he is now the Director of Education for Rusk and Aquage. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks for having me. Long time no see. I know. I'm so happy that we connected recently. You sent me a wonderful message on Facebook, which that's the positive of Facebook is the reconnection. The negative is all the crap that is going on today with COVID and masks and, you know, elections and all the other stuff that I, I steer clear of. So we're not going to go there, but it's, it's nice to see someone that you had a connection with and reconnect and be able to catch up so quickly with the click of a button. So um, yeah. I loved meeting you the way that we met. We were on a fabulous trip to Italy. And I often think of you because now that I am an educator, at the time I was struggling to try and get into education and it was not easy. And you were my all around hero because you you always had that great balance between being fun Thomas and being educator Thomas. And you made the powers that be in the corporate world happy with your performance, but yet you made it fun for us as students in your class. And that's not easy. You know, I, I often say if I, I'm brand free for a reason, because I don't think I could hold a job for more than three months and follow the rules um, as well. It's, it's a rebellion thing from Catholic school. So how, how did you manage to do that? I mean, you were so good at it. I'm sure you probably still are, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, you know, I started out at Goldwell USA for uh, oh, okay. 10 years. So I was a paramedic originally, and um, we had some bad things happen. So I was like, oh, I got to quit this. It could kill me. So I went to beauty school at the ripe age of 28 and decided that I did teach um, school for paramedics and advanced EMTs, and I knew I wanted to be an instructor. So I, I got out of school, went to Goldwell. I was there for 10 years. And then uh, one of my dear friends, Artemis Michaels, decided that she was going to Alpha Parf. And uh, so I applied for Alpha Parf and we went there. And then I started to be an education manager. And then it was a very unique group of people. And I think the one thing that's made me successful at the different companies I've been at is I always had to stay true to myself. So I was going to educate and tell you that you needed something because it was going to benefit you in the salon. And that was the only way that I was going to talk to you about a product was, was that it was going to fulfill a need. So I think that that is what has kept me going that I could be real and I could also be corporate at the same time. And if the product wasn't any good, I just wasn't going to talk about it. Right. That's how that would be. So we would just talk about something else that was good. So um, you and I went, we went to um, 
Cosmoprof International, and we had a great big hair show. We had an earthquake. <laughs> I slept through that. I miss those days when I could sleep through anything. I slept through that earthquake. We had so much fun the night before we had that formal gala, and we, I danced all night, had a broken foot, and I was still dancing all night. And my phone was blown up in the morning of every person in my family was like, are you okay? And I'm like, what are they talking about? And then I went down to breakfast and everybody was like, did you feel that? Oh my gosh, that was unbelievable. And I'm like, what? I totally, totally slept through the entire thing. But it was such a great, I will never forget and I will owe you forever for when we got to Milan and we checked into our hotel you were walking out to grab a bite to eat. I didn't know anybody. I was like on this trip and I didn't know anybody. And it, you know, it was all like, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in Italy for the first time. And we were exhausted because we had just traveled all those hours. And you're like, come on, come to lunch with me. And you said, we walked out of the hotel and you said, look around and find a landmark to get you back to your hotel. And I wouldn't have even thought of that because <laughs> I went out the next day and I was like, Oh my God, thank God he told me that because I didn't know the name of the hotel. When you're on one of those charters with a group of people, you're just following each other and you're not paying attention to the name of your hotel, the streets. And back then you couldn't just bring your cell phone and it worked in Italy. Like you were no cell phone, no communicado whatsoever. I would have been wandering the streets of Milan homeless, not even knowing what damn hotel I was staying at. So I loved that that you, I didn't realize that you were working with the company. I just thought, oh my gosh, this guy is so nice. He knows I'm gonna be a lost, I probably had that deer in the headlights look like, oh crap, I have no idea what I'm doing. But since then, I've been to Italy three more times because you and Gloria and everybody made it so effortless to like ease into that, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming feeling. And I knew I was being taken care of no matter what, you know, even though there was an earthquake and all those other things, it was just such a great experience. And I ended up going the following year, I brought my daughter for her 16th birthday. I was like, we have to go back. Like that was one of the best trips I've ever had. So we, we will always have Italy. And then you and I reconnected in, was it Dallas that we did the Alpha Parf? training it was in dallas yeah it was uh yeah it was in dallas it was in down in grapevine so that's where mm -hmm. everything was happening yeah so, so i a have a fond memory of that as well of you you know there was a lot of nerves because it was like a tryout it was almost like the uh america's got talent of hair color educators you know we were being groomed and then going to be judged on our presentation i remember the night before tossing and turning and going over in my head what I'm going to say. And there were certain words that you had said, I need to hear this during your presentation. And I don't do well with, you have to say certain words because I'm so ADD and whatever the heck comes out of my mouth is what I say. Um, so the, the micro, you probably can blurt it right out, micro encapsulate, something about the, the pigment in alpha parf and what set it apart. What was that big word? Oh, it was the crystallized micropigment technology. Yes. So that was like on a reel in my mind all night. Like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to get that out? Am I going to be able to spit it out? And I loved what you did. You took, you probably don't even remember, it's been years. <clears throat> you took these glass cylinders and you put the bigger balls inside, clear balls. And we're saying like, yep. look at what happens when I put these big balls in. And then look what happens when I put 
these little balls and there's still room for all these other things. And it was such a visual demonstration that hit home for me what the difference was in the pigment that I'll never forget that. I mean, how many years ago was that? Do you even remember? Yeah, I think it was probably about 12 years ago, 12 or 13. And, and you know what's funny when you say that is because I teach how I learn. So people are like, oh, you're a great teacher. And I'm like, I think I'm probably media. I'm okay, that's all it. But um, it's kind of funny because when you get older, you think, hmm, I did bad in science in the 10th grade, but I did great in science the 11th and 12th grade. So did I get smarter? No. It was the teacher. <laughs> it was the teacher, how you relate mm, to the teacher. Great point. So I, you know, I think that's the whole deal is, is that you've got to find somebody that you're relatable to, that you learn from. And then that's when that whole mentorship comes in because you're completely being taught how you learn. And so the, the visual thing is always one of those things that I go back to because I'm a visual person. I don't want to read it. I did, when I went to beauty school, I didn't want to read it. I wanted to listen to it, but I didn't want to read it. You know what I mean? So I think that is a key thing is that if, if, you can re if I can relate to it, you can relate to it. And if you can relate to it, I can relate to it. Because there is no wrong answer. It's just how do you want to get there? You know, do you want to take the long road around or do you want to take the shortest road around? Exactly. And, and there's, I've done a lot of research on the way that people learn. And it is interesting because we always migrate to how we ourselves learn. And I'm, I'm of course finding over the years that that's not always true for everyone. Something that I get called out on a lot for from my students is head sheets. Like, can you do a head sheet? I'm like, oh, come on, guys, don't make me do a head sheet. I can't learn from head, like all those little dashes and different colored markers and all the different lines around the head. Like, I remember being at a Redken event. It was, she's a very famous, well-known educator, very edgy, but very good at teaching, adorable accent, the whole bit, paid a lot of money to be there. And the afternoon was going to be hands-on. It was morning theory, afternoon hands-on. And I remember sitting there and I was literally jumping out of my skin as she was teaching with these head things on the board. And I was just like, oh my gosh, all this like section it into a pie and then to a oval and then, you know, a rectangle here and a this there. And I'm just like, is it really going to matter in the end? Like I'm looking at it and I'm calling bullshit is what I'm doing. And I'm just like, this is just a fancy way of saying do three different colors on the head and wherever that, wherever you feel that the earth moves you to change the color. I don't think it was really necessary to do all the, and I think I was being triggered because I hate it math and geometry and all that. So that was triggering me that I was like, Oh great. Now I have to go back to understanding all these goofy shapes and you really do use that in life. Right. I'm not happy about it. So I literally, we broke for lunch. I was with one of my employees who I paid for her to be there too. And I said, are you feeling this? Like, is it just me getting triggered here? She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. Like I am so lost in all those patterns and everything. And I said, listen, we're in New York city and let's walk our asses over to that TKTS cheap ticket booth and let's get some Broadway show tickets. You know, let's get some last minute tickets. And we saw um, Hugh Jackman and Boy From Oz. We had oh. great seats. It was like the opening, I think it was like the preview week or something. And we were able to get great seats. Wow. It was a great show. And I was like, now that 
I will remember, I'm talking about it now, right? I'm not talking about that crisscross applesauce bullshit technique. And like part of me was like, damn, I paid all that money. I didn't get to do the hands-on, but I knew I was never going to use it. And I've never been that colorist. So when someone says, I hear what you're saying and that sounds like a great technique. Can you draw a head sheet? Like, so I, I go online, I order the pivot point magnetic head sheets. I slap it up yep. on the side of my refrigerator because it's the only place magnetic to hold it. I take my little Sharpie and I did my best to draw a diagram and I posted it in the group and I said, I hope I didn't confuse you more. Here's my head sheet of what you requested. Cause it just, it's not coming from a place of joy. It's not coming from authenticity. It's coming from you're a visual learner. I need to draw this for you, but I'm hating every second of it. So right. um, I think what happens is we end up with who we're meant to teach gravitates toward us. You know, like when we did that training in Dallas, you got up and spoke, Artemis got up and spoke. There was other different teachers. I'm like laser focused in on you because you're funny and I like a funny approach. I hate when right. someone's very monotone and very serious and very, you know, let me say exactly what the manufacturer wants me to say or I'm in trouble. You can see that in a demonstration. A hundred percent. You have to be, you have to be part comedian and part educator because there's not any fun in learning if you don't laugh a little. I mean, that's just the reality. You know, it's funny you say that about head sheets because I hate head sheets too. And how I learned to get out of the head sheet was, is that I would take permanent markers in all different colors and I would section the mannequin but then I would actually draw on the partings on the head. So on the and scalp of the mannequin? On, on the scalp of the mannequin. I would section it out like I was actually doing the mannequin. And then I would actually draw the lines on the mannequin head itself on the parting in different colors. And then I would snap pictures because I'm a visual person, not, not a drawing person. And then I would translate it that way. So I don't like head sheets either. So that's funny that you say you bring up that story. Yeah, I mean, it's, and that's what happens. You end up being drawn to people that teach the way that you learn. And then what happens is you get to a point where that person has given you everything they can possibly give you, and then you need more. And then you start looking for other people to give you a different perspective. And I'll go through five different people before I find my person again. You know, I'll, I'll watch like five minutes of a video. I'm like, I'm out. I start checking my phone. I start doing other things. I'm like, that's not my person. I need to keep going. Um, so I actually, last night, I found a video that really drew me in, really gave me a bunch of aha ideas that I was like, oh my gosh, it's been so long since something's been like really new and different to me. And I watched it three times and I jumped on my coffee chat this morning and shared the link. So I, as an educator, I will never watch a video and then two days later teach it as if it's my own. I will share it with my students, but I say, hey, this is the original video. This is where I got it from. Go see them do it because I'm going to give credit where credit's due. So if I were to stand up at say IBS New York and do your cylinder thing with the little marbles and the big balls, I would say, my friend Thomas taught me this 12 years ago at an Alpha Parf training and I've never forgotten it. So Correct. I think you have to give credit to people and, you know, definitely share. Um, sometimes you get like, oh, I don't want to share Thomas with them because then they're going to want Thomas and not me. You have that little bit of drunk monkey on your shoulder of like, well, they might go to him and not 
and not follow me anymore or think that I'm as, you know, innovative, but there's so much, there's enough for all of us to go around. And I love connecting my students with people like you that, you know, if they don't use Rust, they may not know who you are. And that's why I love that you're on the podcast. And I love that we're reconnecting. Tell me about the, uh, the new things going on with Aquage because you have a, you have a dual, dual position here. I do have a dual position. I don't know how that happened. Well, that's for another conversation. Um, <laughs> so the, um, I uh, do have, well, first let's, let's start with Beauty Quest Group. So a uh, independent private group bought Rust and Aquage from the Conair family. So we are separate now. So we actually have Rust, Aquage, we have one and only, which is actually sold in Sally's. And then we have a whole private label division. So that's out of Rantoul, Illinois, where we make lots of manufacturers products in our facility. So we're, we are, we're a manufacturer of products too. So um, with the Rusk and Aquage are, are purely professional, um, we wanted to relaunch their brand stories. So with Aquage, we're quite um, proud to say that we have partnered with Plastic Bank. And what they do is they um, pay homeless people to take plastic out of the oceans and the beaches and the alleys and any place where plastic is found, specifically the sea. And then they um, turn that in and then they get a debit card for food or their home or groceries or anything that they need for turning in the plastic. So we partnered with Plastic Bank and uh, the packaging, we're going through a change now and everything will be sustainable. So that's going to be our um, kind of motto is oh, sustainable. So yeah, so so ever all our packaging will be able to be dissolved by water so that therefore, you know, we can recycle everything and uh, use it again so we're not polluting the earth. That's amazing. And I love the whole piece with utilizing homeless people because they're, I mean, it sounds horrible, but they're going through trash and they're, in places where there's a lot of trash so to give them that motivation to then be able to buy food and do things um, with that while also helping the company. That's amazing. I love that. I love that sustainable. People are so clever with those names. I was, I was looking into trademarking and patents and all that stuff and talk about an education. You can go down a big rabbit hole there. Um, And the trademark attorney said, the best thing you can do is make up a word. I'm working on this product that I want to bring to the industry as far as hair color. And he's like, just make up a word. Do you know how hard it is to make up a word? Like, because it doesn't exist and you're trying, I'm in the shower and I'm trying to be clever with like words backwards and shuffling letters of words. And it's hard. I still haven't come up with anything, but then I think about the products that I use and one of them being a salon um, hair color measuring scale system, which is amazing. I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Vish. So Vish isn't a word. Vish is a product that they created and they created the word for it. But now I know of that as Vish. And now Vish is a word to me. Um, I could look around me and think of a lot of other things that are you know, a made up word, like Nike. Nike is a made up word and everybody knows what it is now. Um, but if you take <clears throat> the words like, um, color swatch tool or color whatever, they're just words. You can't own them and then you can't own that name. So it gets really tricky and complicated. Right. So I love sustainable. I like that. Sustainable. You should watch Wicked 
for some inspiration because like confusifying, that's really not a word, but you know, so if you've ever seen the musical Wicked, they do lots of those word combinations that you're like, that's not a word, but I can use it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's Marie Forleo is one of my favorites. And the title of her book is Everything is Figure Outable. And it's, it's such a simple thing, but it really, you know, we get so overwhelmed with everything being like this huge mountain that you can't possibly navigate. And then you're like, no, everything is figure outable. If you just get creative and lose the nerves and lose the overthinking. Um, and speaking of that, you know, you've made so many pivots since I've known you and you always land on your feet like a cat. You always come out even better than you were before. Um, look at this company. They have you running two major divisions because they know how capable you are. And I love that you said in the beginning that you were 28 when you entered the industry because what I found as a salon owner and training hairstylists, I always had the most success with stylists who came to the industry a little later in life because they were a lot more hungry, a lot more humble, a lot more like, I need to get down to business. I don't have time to waste. They didn't sit in the back room and do the back room bitching thing or, or want anything handed to them. They were super motivated. So I, I think that may be part of um, your success story is that you did come in a little bit later and you had teaching and doing experience in another um, industry that's very relatable. Like everything is usable in every industry, right? So you just take little pieces of everything to become a complete and total you. Correct. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, it, it's funny you say that because even the, the instructors and I went to, you're going to start laughing because I went to Harold's Beauty Academy in Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, Harold's father was in the hair Olympics and won an award in the whole nine yards. So it was funny, but the instructors there gravitated toward me because I was serious. So whenever everybody else would be just lounging in the back, you know, eating candy bars, they had me at the table showing me how to do stuff because I was so enthusiastic because I wanted to learn because I needed to make a living to provide for my family. So I totally think that that is absolutely true that the later, a little bit later in life when you start, unless I think, I think the only exception to that is maybe if you have, like your daughter owns the salon now. So she grew up with you as her mentor. So she had a desire to do it. She had a desire. You know, I think a lot of these kids go, I don't know, I'm not going to go to college. I'll just go to hair school. So, mm -hmm. and then there's no motivation there. And the problem too is I think you and I talked a little bit before we started recording about how kind of behind the industry is in so many ways on the government and bureaucratic level of everything. Like they don't make it easy for us to bring these young kids into the industry and help them on their trajectory through the industry. It's like shampoo, you know, shampoo heads, sweep the floor. It's still that, and it should be so much more. You know, we have these devices in our hand that can launch a rocket to the moon, that the power of their phone, they have so much, um, ability to get on there and learn anything from the palm of their hand on YouTube videos that are free and different, you know, membership sites of different things in the industry. And, and some people still, to your point, they come out of school, they went to school because their parents were like, you have to do something. And then they're like rotting in the back room or outside smoking a cigarette, bitching about how horrible their life is 
when all they have to do is turn it around and want more of what is already available to them. You know, I, when I went into my first job, they told me on day one, you're going to assist for two years before you ever touch a head. Within three months, I was behind the chair in the color department as a color specialist. Three months, it was supposed to be two years because I gave a shit. And I was like, I need to learn this. I need to watch, when I'm not busy, I'm going to watch that girl who's fully slam booked as a colorist. I'm not going to sit in the back and read rag magazines about Hollywood gossip. Where's that getting me? You know, and people would look at me like, what is her deal? She's like a little suck up. You know, but I wasn't worried about what my coworkers thought of me. I was worried about paying my bills and moving forward and making a living. And when I hear the average income is still 20 something thousand, I'm like, there's no reason for that. There's so much opportunity. There's more jobs than people to fill them. Where are these people and why are they not more motivated? What can we do, Thomas, as educator? It's very frustrating. That is the million dollar question. What else can you do to motivate people? You know, because I think it's such a, with these iPhones and your iPads and everything, everything is such instant gratification. It's almost like you don't have to work for it. And you really do have to work for it. I mean, I can remember when I was first out of beauty school, I would be at the salon at nine in the morning. I was still there at midnight. Somebody called at 1201 and said, I'll be in at 1230. I was like, come on over. <laughs> you know, because that's what it took to be successful in the beginning. So yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. So that brings me to the next topic is our industry seems to be running in droves to solo suites because it's something fairly new. I mean, other states have been doing booth rental for years. I was in PA where you couldn't do that. So now after all these years, PA is saying you can do the solo suite, you still can't rent a chair, you have to rent an individual spot. And these kids in school now are saying, I'm not shampooing for anybody for two years, I'm going right into a suite. And I see it every day in the Facebook forums. And then they're crying, especially now with COVID, I can't pay my rent. What, what am I, how can I get clients in my chair? I'm thinking, honey, you haven't screwed up on somebody else's dime yet. Like you need to work somewhere and do model nights and screw up on doll heads and screw up on your friends and your family and your aunt and your cousins, the people that are like so happy to be your guinea pig. You need to go through all, I don't care if sweets are available. It doesn't mean it's a good idea to go right into. You Correct. Know? Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. Well, and I think that you know, I, I really think that there should be um, some type of mandatory apprenticeship that you have to go through when you get out of beauty school because the cosmetology schools still are not teaching, they're teaching people how to take the test. They're still not teaching people how to be a real world stylist in today's society. So it's just setting those young people up to fail because they don't have anybody there to mentor them, especially in a solo suite, you're by yourself. I mean, if someone says hi to you, you're lucky, I think, you know, cause mm -hmm. they kind of run in their little suite and, oh, I'm here. So yeah. it's, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, how many head, free heads of hair did you do to become successful? Still, <laughs> you know? still do. Yeah. I mean, you'd run, grab, grab the bartender at the bar. Hey, I'll do your hair if you'll just refer people to me, please. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's, it's one of those things that, um, the, the sociability, social ability of stylist is not what it needs to be for society today, I don't believe. Yeah, and I think people, I see it 
because I have to deal with social media because of what I do now. I don't love it, especially Instagram is not my friend. I do better on Facebook than Instagram because of my age. Uh, so there is a certain amount of ageism in our industry as far as people wanting to listen to what you have to say if you're not cool enough. Uh -huh. um, but I see stylists that are trying to grow their book. They're watching other people who are educators. So they're posting, you know, this is my model. I did, you know, this at the zone one, this at zone two, glossed it at the end with this for this many minutes. And then they're emulating them. And I look at it and I say, I know who that is. I know that's Jill. Jill is trying to build a book. Why is Jill talking about zone one, zone two? She's talking to regular people that aren't hairdressers. They don't want to hear that. So there's this like me too, you know, everybody's looking at everybody's followers and they're like, oh, well, she's doing that. I want to do that. And I just keep saying, what is your, when you post something, what is your purpose in posting that? Who are you talking to and why? It goes back to the Simon Sinek, know your why is so important because you and I, we're going to post something from the perspective of we want to share knowledge with someone who is in our industry and is going to take that and be successful with that. We're not trying to speak to the client. It's funny because I'm on my Instagram every once in a while, I'll post a picture of just me and my husband on the beach and I'll get 300 likes and my regular post will get 50. But it's because most of the people that follow me are friends and family and they're sick of hearing about zone one, zone two. <laughs> they can't like it because they don't know what the hell it is. So I don't have two separate accounts. I'm like, it's exhausting. I have one account. Um, but it showed me too that people, even the hairstylists that are following me, they want to know who Jeff is, the guy she's always talking about. What does he look like? You know, they have this picture in their head of who Elaine's husband is by what I say about him. And now it's like, oh, there he is. Like, you know, so you just don't, you can't get wrapped up in that. It really hurts my heart, especially for young people, the competition and the bad, the feeling bad about themselves because they don't have this many followers or this many likes. And it's so, it doesn't matter. And the, like your, your income is not reflected by your likes for sure. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I always have a saying, there's no romance and without the finance. And so you got to be paid. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there, there is no, there is no money to those likes unless you get into the millions of followers. And in reality, who's going to do that? You'd probably be better at winning the lottery at this point than, than doing that, you know, and, um, I guess you just have to believe in yourself. That's the whole thing is you have to believe in yourself and hard work always pays off. And it just doesn't seem like a lot of these people want to put in the work is what kind of what it boils down to. You know, it's funny, um, since I've been, you know, an education manager and everything for all these different companies, I have hundreds of people say, oh, I want to be an educator. I want to be an educator. And I say, okay, I'll take you up on that. Send me your resume. Out of a hundred people, I have maybe two. Two. I was just going to say two. 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 I only have two people send me the resume. So, you know, because they don't want to put in the work. And, you know, un unfortunately, you're not going to get rich being an educator. Okay, period. You've got to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, I'm living proof. You know, you've, you've got to do it for the self-betterment of society and making yourself feel better 
And that's the reason why you want to be an educator. It's not because you're going to be famous or you're going to be, you know, the next Beth Benardi because only one of us can be that, you know, and she's still here. So um, it's just interesting that um, people just don't want to put in the work. And that's, that's what it totally takes. And, you know, and surrounding yourself with good people, a good leader only surrounds themselves with a good team. So, you know, in all of my ventures, I, I've always strived to surround myself with a good team that if I couldn't do it, they could. And they had exactly the amount of knowledge I could, I had because that made me feel like I was worth something because I was teaching them. So, you know, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I think that I've uh, probably succeeded so much is because I look at it as me as an education manager or an educator, okay? My job is when I'm in front of a class is to teach them. And then when we're in a back room at a hair show or something, my job is to teach the educators new and different techniques to continually growing because, you know, you don't want to rot when you're, when you, you know, that's just the whole deal is you've got to continue learning. I learn stuff every day still, and I'm 51 now. So I, you know, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And there's no reinventing the wheel. No one's coming up with anything new. We're putting a spin on something that was old. It's so funny that whenever people come up and they're like, oh, I've got a new technique. And I'm like, well, an eighth of that is new, but the rest of it we've already done before. But thanks for putting a spin on that. So, you know, it's just, you're um, brushing the rust off the spooky wheel, I should say. And that's something that, um... I see has happened the the more seasoned educators that you and I grew up with and learned a lot from at the different hair shows. I think that social media has made not all of them, but some of them feel less relevant because they don't do the whole social media thing. And it's such a shame because the wrong people, and, and I hate to say getting giving credit or getting the credit, but when balayage exploded, um, I learned from Nancy Braun because Beth had said, Beth was always my number one mentor. And she said, I don't do balayage because I'm not good at it. And I don't like to do things I'm not good at. If you want to learn balayage, go to Nancy Braun. And I was like, done, went to Nancy Braun. So I learned from Nancy Braun and she gave the credit to what we were talking about earlier. She said, I had the pleasure of learning balayage from Constance Hartnett through the Frederick Fakai Corporation. She brought it over from Paris. She talked about Constance Hartnett. Then, you know, about a year ago, I found out about Julia Roberts, colorist, who has this beautiful new salon in California. I interviewed her. She said, I trained under Constance Hartnett. So I'm like, wow, See? why doesn't anybody know who Constance Hartnett is? So I had this pop-up spontaneous event. We called it the hairball. It was a lot of fun. We did it on Facebook. And we had Sonia Dove show up and um, Philip and Mary Wilson popped in and I reached out to all these different educators and I reached out to Constance. She's in her eighties now. And I said, Constance, I would love for people to know you, to know that you're responsible for all these Beverly Hills, Hollywood, fabulous colors. You're why they're fabulous. And people aren't knowing that, like they need to know that. And she's like, oh, you know, she's cute in her eighties. She's like, I don't know technology, I'm afraid. I was like, it's totally fine. So she couldn't make it. Something really unfortunate happened health-wise in somebody in her family. She's fine, but it was like sudden. And she said, I'm so sorry, I can't make it. I said, no problem. 
but I still wanted to honor her and talk about her in the event. So we did trivia and I described her. I said, brought balayage over from Paris X amount of years ago, trained this colorist and this colorist. And everybody's like, Larissa Love. Uh, they're naming all these people that are like two years old, right? And I'm just like, are you serious? Do you have any idea how long balayage has been around? So it's like people have the blinders on and they only know what they know and, and 